0: Your old car, truck, RV, or motorcycle to us at 877 KPFK Auto. That's 877 KPFK AUTO. Or online at kpfk.org. We'll take care of everything and you'll help support the quality programming you hear on KPFK. Just call 877 KPFK Auto. That's 877 KPFK AUTO. Or donate online at kpfk.org.
1: You're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. The time now is 6 p.m.
2: KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles.
3: a a
2: A woman who was punched. A sheriff's deputy while holding her baby last year has filed a federal lawsuit against Los Angeles County and the deputies involved in the violent encounter. In a federal civil rights lawsuit, Yayo Russell alleges the deputies involved in the July 13th, 2022 incident used excessive force in her wrongful arrest. This is KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Good evening. I'm Angela Birdsong. Here are today's headlines. How Los Angeles City Civil Rights Office can help you as hate is on the rise. Los Angeles Charter School and its construction scandal. We Are LA program sets out to stop homelessness for individuals before it begins. Ecuador declares a 60 day state of emergency due to prison crisis. International News with Polina Vasiliev, a commentary with Dick Platkin, the comment the community calendar, all this and more coming up. The Mayor's Fund for Los Angeles, the nonprofit closely associated with City Hall, gets a new mission. Helping Mayor Karen Bass fight homelessness by launching a program called We Are LA. This new initiative strives to stop homelessness before it starts by reaching out to individuals and in communities across Los Angeles County. This homelessness program brings together 10 community based organizations such as Black Women for Wellness, Los Angeles Community Action Network, Groundworks Campaign, and Community Coalition, to name a few who make the initial outreach by phone banking or canvassing neighborhoods on foot. Once individuals have been identified by the canvassers, We Are LA will connect people to food and medical assistance, legal services, tenant help, and more with the assistance from Esperanza Housing, who determines what support and services they may be eligible for. At a recent We Are LA Appreciation event, Mayor Karen Bass addresses the community partners.
4: Whatever job I have, it's to further our community it's to address the problems that we have, and it's to bring us together because I know that coming together we have the power because I know the community organizations that are in this room. And what really warms my heart so much is that one, I know all of the organizations, we've been in this fight for a long time, whether it's on the ground or in the halls of some institutions, it really doesn't matter. What matters is what your values are, what you're fighting for, and I'm very clear what I'm fighting for. And that's for social and economic justice and the manifestation of that struggle right now are the people that are on the street, something that a few decades ago I would have never imagined happening. And it has happened in a way that we have a generation that has grown up that thinks this is normal. But those of us that have been around for a while, remember when this was not the case. And if it wasn't the case decades ago, there is no reason that our people have to be on the streets living outside.
2: With only six weeks of canvassing, the initiative reports that 34,000 individuals have been contacted, and one out of three indicated they are in need of support services. Conway Collis. CEO of the Mayor's Fund, who was at the Appreciation Affair, states, quote, There are 27,000 evictions in Los Angeles last year, and there will be thousands more this year. So the legal services providing lawyer, lawyers to people is critical, end of quote. To learn about We Are LA and the statewide movement to prevent people from going to homelessness, go to wearecalifornia.org. There is a growing charter school construction scandal in Los Angeles. Charters are getting millions of tax dollars for new charter schools when enrollment is dropping and public schools need to be remodeled. Steve Zeltzer of Workweek and Pacifica talked with Carl Peterson, a parent public school advocate and writer on public education. So, Carl, why
0: don't you talk about some of the things that you've learned as far as the la uh usd and what they're doing as far as money pumping money into construction of charter schools in los angeles
5: sure I, I think the the first thing to note is you know you talk about the expansion of charters in los angeles but actually charter enrollment is down along with you know everybody seeing declining enrollment because of change in demographics and the charter school industry kind of likes to portray the districts lowering of enrollment as because they can't do the good job but actually there's less kids available there's there's families are moving away from expensive cities like los angeles and birth rates are down so that's caused enrollment to decline across the board and we have statistics showing that that includes charters but despite this this declining enrollment charter schools are still on a building spree building brand new buildings and facilities and classroom space that isn't needed right now. And they're building that on the public dime.
0: What kind of money are we talking about? Because I know that there are a lot of public schools that need to be remodeled, to be taken care of. What kind of money is going into charter schools in Los Angeles?
5: I don't have an exact figure of what's being spent. We can only look at it on a project-by-project basis. And yes, that this this construction money could be better spent on taking the facilities that our public school students are already attending and modernizing them and bringing them up to ADA code. But what what charters do? Well, they do have the same access. Pretty much every bond fund that goes through in Los Angeles, they have a little tag on it that gives charters a portion of those bonds. But in addition to that. The charters are taking advantage of some other programs by both the feds and the, and the state. They, there's a program in the state where they could take their rent payments and have them reimbursed. They're getting the same money per student as our public schools, but then they're, the state is turning around and also giving them facilities, basically. And how they do this, so when they own a facility, they'll spin off an LLC, give that facility to the LLC, the main organization will then pay rent to the LLC, and then- Voila, we have a rent payment. We can get it reimbursed by the state.
0: And the billionaires in Los Angeles, Broad, formerly Eli Brody passed away, but the Broad Foundation, Zuckerberg, Reed Hastings, uh, these who, how are they involved in this transfer of money to construction of charter schools?
5: Well, first of all, they finance our school board elections. So up until very recently, we've had boards that they control. So there's been basically no pushback. Just recently, that changed. We finally took what's supposed to be a majority on the board. And our new board member, Rocia Rivas, she stepped up. And one of these schools tried to uh, build a new middle school. And they were looking for the district to change the rules so that they could do it. And it was blocked. So elections do have consequences. And when we can beat the billionaires at the election game, we win in the boardroom.
0: And what is the role of Gavin Newsom and the Democratic Party in California in pushing for changes in state legislation that funds these charter schools and who are privatizing and making money off the charter school industry?
5: Gavin Newsom ran on what he said was going to be a neutral platform between public schools and and charter schools, which already was a case of false equivalency and should have been a, a big warning sign. But then when uh, the, the pandemic hit and, and he tried to push through his budget, there's a secret thing in one of the budgets where all charter schools automatically got renewed for an extra two years. So it doesn't matter how badly performing a, a charter school is. Districts are not getting to look at, at what's going on. So that, you know, the, the, where that falls into the building is you could have a charter school building a brand new building, spending all this public money on it. And they're going to go under because either they're financially unsound or they're just losing students at such a rate that it becomes fiscally irresponsible.
0: And who do these buildings belong to? They're built with public funds. Do they belong to the state or the LAUSD?
5: That's a good question. We've been trying to uncover that. And it's uh, unfortunately, I don't know that we're going to know until one of these schools goes belly up and who who's going to own it. There's a school building built right now. They're building it out of shipping containers. But it's a, the charter school is based on the fact that it's an all girls athletic school. Now, just take that into account that they're building a school that has barely any room for an athletic field. We'll ignore that for a second. But since they're an all girls school, they allowed them to build it with only girls bathrooms. So. If the school goes belly up, there's no resale value on it. Are we just going to be stuck with a, a school that does not have facilities for that anybody could use because there's no room for guys to go to the bathroom? Unfortunately, I I don't know when we're going to know that answer, and, and we're going to learn it, those answers probably in a very bad way.
0: And we're talking about millions and millions of dollars going into the charter schools, What is the role of developers in taking over land for development and using the charter schools as a kind of facade to push uh, a land grab?
5: Uh, Again, that's a lot of behind the scenes uh, maneuvering that we suspect it's there. I haven't found the the smoking gun yet, but in one case, there's a, a house in the valley that goes back to last century or early last century. This was the the name of the street is Plummer Street, and this was Plummer's House. So this house has seen the change of a valley from purely agricultural to suburbs that it well, I I guess it's not it's beyond suburbs at this point. So it's witnessed it all. And they actually got the neighborhood got that marked as a, a historical building. So great. Should be protected. The community had an idea to get the city to get the land. And we'll make it into a park. The area is, has a lack of green space, so that would be perfect. Turn it into a park and a museum. Well, the developer got a hold of it. And now a charter school is going to build a charter school on that that property. They won't be able to knock down the house because it's got a historical landmark status. But nobody will be able to see it because it's going to become their offices. So, yeah, again, we've all suspected for a while that developers have a hand in this charter school game. And I think we're, we're going to start to see the results now.
0: And Prop 39, which was supported by Reed Hastings, he gave $3 million for the language in uh, that Prop 39, allows for co-location. It removes the Field Act, which requires proper you know, land, uh, not toxic dump sites, which some charter schools are built on. How is Prop 39 reflected in this whole construction boom of uh, charter schools in California?
5: Prop 39 kind of gives the charter schools their, their backstop so that they have some place to hold students until they can get that property and work with the developers to build the new school building. It's almost like an incubator kind of thing at, at the expense of our students. I'm glad you brought up the Field Act. I think any parent who is sending their child to one of these charter schools should know that the charter schools industry worked against having the Field Act apply to their schools. The Field Act was put in place after 1938, I believe, Long Beach earthquake where schools collapsed so this makes our school buildings by experts recognize them as the safest place to be in an earthquake and charter school students don't have that protection and i think parents should know that before they send their kids into one of these buildings whatever you think of their educational opportunities i think their their health and safety should be paramount
0: california federation of teachers and california uh, cta the teachers association supported prop 39 you think it was a mistake? You think that they should work to repeal that and other legislation for charter schools?
5: Well, it's kind of disingenuous a little bit to say that they support it and therefore they supported charter schools because the whole concept of Prop 39 was to change our funding for our schools and get better access to bond funding. The portion that harms everybody, that was kind of snuck in there. I would, I would venture a guess that most people who voted for that prop had no idea that that was in there. It's a it's a little line. And it should also be stated that the problems we're having for Prop 39 are not only a case of what's in the prop, but how judges have interpreted it. It was very poorly written. It doesn't prevent, it doesn't give a lot of rules. So the judges have t- stepped in and provided the rules. Nowhere in Prop 39 does it say co-location, but that's what judges have used to put charter schools privately operated schools onto our public schools campuses. And that endangers our students because we have no control of what's going on in those schools. We have cases where there has been allegations of sexual abuse by charter school administrators on charter school students and the public school student parents have no idea that this has happened and do not know what to look for. Prop 39, I think the legislators need to look into it. They need to put some backstops into that. And kind of replace some of these judge rules, judges rulings. Right now, special education rooms, they're considered empty because they don't have a roster. The place where you educate a a special education student and give him services, that's not empty. Choir rooms are not empty. Uh, Computer rooms, parent support centers, they're considered empty under Prop 39 under court rulings. And the, the legislator needs to step in immediately and change that.
0: Well, the California Charter School Association and Reed Hastings, Eli Broad pushed Prop 39 with the support of the California Federation of Teachers and the CTA. The lawyers uh, that Reed Hastings hired, I don't think were incompetent. I think they knew exactly what they were doing, the way they wrote that proposition. It was written by Reed Hastings and his supporters. So they were aware of that. The school board, California State Board of Education, Commission on Teacher Credentials, these boards are filled with uh, charter supporters. Their supporters, the state chair of the Board of Education is a supporter of the charters. So it seems like the state apparatus of California have basically been taken over by charter supporters.
5: Yeah, the the state commission charters or overseas charters, Jerry Brown put uh, Dr. Mark Ryan on that board. Mark Ryan is the he calls himself the superintendent of the school with the, the sexual assault charges against it. That school is about to go belly up spectacularly. And I just found evidence that they spent $90,000 sending staff to Vegas for a conference using federal money earmarked for a COVID relief. They hired a lobbyist in Washington, DC. What does a local charter school have to hire a lobbyist in Washington, DC? And now they're going to end the school year with like $18,000 in the bank. This is the person who was put on the charter board by Jerry Brown.
0: Well, why hasn't the California Federation of Teachers CTA made an issue of the corruption, rampant corruption and basically looting of public education by these developers, by these uh, crooked operators of charters who are basically misusing funds which should be going to the students of California?
5: The charter school industry is good at one thing, marketing. And so they've put the the teachers unions into a, a corner where basically they've created this dialogue where if the unions go after charters, they're against giving choices to poor parents. We need to fight back. And I think the unions have to be more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They they need to learn how to fight. <laughs> proactive. Yes, proactive and and... I guess I come from New York, so I, I look at fighting battles as a little different. You know, you, you don't hold back when the other the other side isn't holding back.
0: How can people find out more about your writing?
5: Sure. I'm on uh, Facebook at LUSD Parent Power and also um, www.changetheLUSD.com.
2: Hear more of Steve Zeltzer on Working Voices on KPFK, Fridays at 10 a.m.
6: The revolution will not be televised
3: revolution will not be televised. Welcome to
4: the KPFK Rebel Alliance
2: News, Los Angeles. Remember to donate and renew or become a member or join the Sustainer Circle at kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. As hate is on the rise across the United States, do you know how to fight against it? Are you aware of the Los Angeles Civil Rights Department? David Price, Director of Racial Equity for the Civil Plus Human Rights and Equity Department, where their mission is to maintain and strengthen the city's diversity, equity, and accountability. They are focused on reducing bias and injustices while leveling the playing field through community engagement, equity initiatives, and upward mobility programming.
7: Um, I served in our our former mayor's administration, Mayor Eric Garcetti, and it was his vision to create uh, the Civil Human Rights and Equity Department. It started off actually as a commission back in 2018, and then once he hired our executive director and general manager, uh, Capri Maddox, who currently oversees the department, she had a vision to carry the commission into a, a full-blown department uh, for the city. And we focus on three primary pillars within our department. The first is civil rights enforcement, where Angelenos can bring uh, cases against private companies um, in commerce, education, employment, and housing, if they believe that they face some sort of uh, civil rights or human rights discrimination. And we have uh, eight investigators who are at the ready to hear their story um, and to respond. And if we can bring a case, we have the authority to uh, levy fines of up to $250,000. And we try to settle cases outside of court, but sometimes there is that need to go to court and so that's the primary role for our department but i oversee the part of the department that focuses on equity uh specifically racial equity gender equity we work with our city council partners to create policies within the city of los angeles that's you know equitable that really brings at the center of the conversation communities that have been historically marginalized Uh, we have programs that address the historically marginalized communities as well my unit overseas, which includes participatory budgeting as well as peace and healing centers. Um, This was also a vision from Mayor Eric Garcetti uh, back in 2020 following the uprisings after the George Floyd uh, murder. The city decided to really hone in and focus on these equity efforts. So we created a fund that's called Reforms for Equity and Public Acknowledgement of Institutional Racism. Um, And so we've identified nine communities that we call repair zones uh, that are at the intersection of race and poverty. So 87% of the folks living in our zones are folks of color, uh, and at least 16% of folks living in these zones uh, are living below the poverty line. You know, here in the state of California, we have Prop 209, which precludes us from actually um, using affirmative action or, you know, any protective class to disseminate Public funds, so that includes protected classes of race, age, gender, sexuality, marital status. And so, what we've done is took geographical units and we've asked ourselves the question you know, where who have the highest COVID 19 case rates? Who uh, suffers the most from environmental inequities and racism? Who suffers the most from having a lack of internet access within their homes? Where's the you know highest concentration of poverty? We looked at the Cal Enviro screen and the CDC Social Vulnerability Index to see you know where in Los Angeles are our most vulnerable communities, um, and you know it's no surprise right that you know the Black, Brown, you know Indigenous communities that make up the city of Los Angeles were the most inequitable, were the most, are the most vulnerable, and so that's where all of our programming is uh, focused primarily. Um, Just to speak a little bit more about participatory budgeting, we call it LA Repair. And if folks want to learn more, they can go to repair.lacity.org. But participatory budgeting has been around since 1989. It started in Allegro, Brazil. It's been implemented in more than 7,000 locations uh, and cities throughout the world. And so LA is just now getting onto this really innovative program that has been around. But the goal is to deepen democracy. We want people to know believe, feel, and experience that their voices matter when they speak up, when they share their ideas. We want folks to be able to understand our budgeting processes in the city. So this program you know opens up the doors of accountability. And it opens up the opportunity for folks to gain experience and knowledge in terms of how the city's processes work. And then lastly, our, our goal really is to establish and renew trust within our communities, between our communities and our government. We know that, you know, following you know, the racist tapes that came out of the LA City Council last year, following, you know, decades of racist policies that came out of the city of Los Angeles, we, as a government, have to do more to build trust within the community to acknowledge the wrongs that have been done and so LA repair participatory budgeting is just one step in that direction where we allow constituents and all Angela knows to share their ideas about how 8.5 million dollars of the city's budget should be spent within that particular community once those ideas are shared we ask community-based organizations to come up with proposals that would actually address those ideas that community members share. Once the community-based organizations come up with those proposals, we put it on a ballot, and then we go back to the community and ask them to vote on it. And whichever proposal gets the most votes gets funded. And so uh, we've done this in three of our nine repair zones so far. Loyal Heights, they've decided to share their resources with Um, tenants um, who are facing eviction. And so we have rental assistance in the Boyle Heights community. Um, In Southeast LA, you know, we're providing after-school education programs in the Imperial Courts housing development in Watts. Uh, We're working with uh, the Charles R. Drew University to stand up a street mobile clinic to provide primary care and mental health services to more than 10,000 individuals and families in that community as well. In uh, the valley in the uh, Mission Hills Panorama City North area, they decided to create a community garden that allows more than 100 families to get fresh fruits and vegetables in uh, an area that is You know, desolate of grocery stores. It's a food desert. And so they felt that it was essential that they had a community garden. So that's being implemented there. We're really excited because that was just the first three zones. The next six zones are beginning their idea collection moment um, in August of this year. And so again, I really want to encourage folks to stay on the lookout for that, particularly if you live in the West Adams, Baldwin Village, Lamarck Park area, the South Los Angeles area, the Wilmington Harbor Gateway, Westlake, Skid Row, um, as well as Arlita Pocoima in the Valley. And so We're really excited because it's a new and innovative program, and we want to demonstrate that this works in Los Angeles. And we are using community-based organizations who are trusted partners to implement these programs. Likewise, in those same nine zones, we have peace and healing centers that focus on environmental healing, social healing, or economic healing. And again, we partner with community-based organizations who are already doing this work, who are putting on programs, understanding the unique needs of their particular communities. And so we give them funds to implement you know, really unique programs, whether it be veteran services in the West Adams, Wawa Hills, Merc Park area, whether it be arts and, uh, and music. and mental health assistance in Skid Row or youth services and services for moms in Westlake in Central LA. It's such a unique program. It, it, it hasn't been done the way we're doing it here in LA anywhere else in the world. And so we want folks to be able to experience that. Um, and so you should definitely check out our Peace and Healing Centers. You can go to civilandhumanrights.lacity.gov and click on the Peace and Healing Centers tab to learn more about where they are and how you can get engaged and involved. Beyond that, we also have a number of commissions within our department. Uh, We have the Commission on Civil Rights that really helps us to shepherd our civil rights enforcement division. We have the Commission on the Status of Women, the Human Relations Commission, the Transgender Advisory Council, as well as the Reparations Advisory Commission. Um, And I'm really excited because my team gets to lead the Reparations Advisory Commission, which is currently engaged in the Black LA Experience Survey. We're looking to collect 4,000 surveys from Black folk who either currently live in L.A. or who have previously lived in L.A. and have moved out. Our goal is to work with this commission, come up with a set of pilot programs to present to uh, Mayor Bass and our city council partners as it relates to the harms that were committed against Black Angelinos and the ways in which the city can do something about it, right, to repair that harm. But we need to tell our stories. What I've learned is that we've been talking to one another a lot, but we haven't necessarily gotten all of this information in one place specific to the city of Los Angeles. The state has done it. Alameda County has done it. We've done it in other cities across the nation, but now we have to tell the story of Black Los Angeles. And so we're working with California State University, Northridge, you know, a host of brilliant professors and and experts as it relates to Black Los Angeles. And so we're really, really excited about the opportunity there to share our story and our narrative so that we can do something about it. We have the LA is for all campaign, which is an award winning campaign that has been translated into over 20 languages. Um, you know, we've been experiencing so much hate and so much discrimination, not only in the city of LA, but really across our nation and our world. And our department was adamant about saying, you know, LA is a place not only where we fight against hate, but where we proclaim that this is a place where no matter your race, gender, creed, sexual orientation, class, you belong here and so we have the la is for everyone campaign folks can go online to request posters we're at you know all kinds of fairs and community events really showing the world really that you know their hate and discrimination does not exist here in los angeles we won't accept it we're always going to speak out against it and say something when it happens
2: so david what is the website where we can take the survey and find more about the la black experience study
7: Sure. So everyone can go to blackexperiencela.com to find the survey, fill it out, share it with your your friends, your mom, your dad, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your neighbors, and tell them that we need to hear their story.
8: Getting help to buy groceries is now simpler than ever with CalFresh. You can apply for CalFresh online, over the phone, or turn in your application at a DPSS office. Then use your EBT card at stores or order your groceries online and eat healthy. Click Cook CalFresh.
2: Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. The song playing is "Fence Walk" by Mandrill on their composite Truth album, released in 1973. Mandrill is an American funk band from Brooklyn, New York, formed in 1968 by brothers Carlos, Lou, and Rick Wilson. The Wilson brothers were born in Panama and grew up in the Bedford-Stuyvesant area of Brooklyn. Music pundits called them one of Funk's most progressive outfits with an expansive, eclectic vision. KPFK-APPE Spanish Language Programming presents Remember Cuba's Revolution and Celebrate on Saturday, July 29th at the radio station in the parking lot, 3729 Cahuenga Boulevard, West and North Hollywood featuring a video of the Moncada and the reflection of today's Cuba. Movie presentation starts at 6.30 p.m. Event is open to all and is free. Get more details about this exclusive event at kpfk.org. Summer weather is here at KPFK 90.7 FM. Full sunshine at the mid-90s for Saturday and Sunday. The Apple weather weekend forecast for our sister stations in Southern California, low 80s in San Diego, low 90s in Santa Barbara, with 108 degrees Saturday and 107 degrees on Sunday in Ridgecrest, China Lake.
1: Please help keep independent journalism alive and KPFK radio strong. Become a Sustainable Circle member of KPFK by pledging at any level. $10, $20, $100 per month, whatever suits you. This is Verdine White of Earth, & Fire, encouraging you to make your tax-deductible donation today at 818-818-818. 985-5735 or KPFK.org.
2: Become a sustainer at KPFK.org. Here is today's international news from sources outside of the NATO controlled media sphere with Polina Svat
8: Vasiliev. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international highlights from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. We start in Latin America. The government of Ecuador has declared a state of emergency due to the serious internal turmoil in all prisons in the country. Salazar's Gladys Casada reports on the latest crisis in the coastal prison.
9: Ecuador, the death toll resulting from prison riots in the littoral penitentiary, the country's largest prison rose to 31, while the authorities seek to regain control of the center. The government concluded the intervention of the public forces in pavilions 8 and 9 of the penitentiary, although the work continues in other sectors of the facility. During the operation, officers found high-caliber weapons, grenades and homemade bombs. Meanwhile, in the province of Esmeraldas, at least five vehicles burnt in different areas, threats of explosive in the gas stations, as well as installations of the public prosecutor's office, and the National Electricity Corporation attacked with Molotov cocktails. President Guillermo Lasso announced a state of emergency in all prisons in the national territory for 60 days to facilitate the intervention of police and the military inside this prison.
8: And in Argentina, communities from the northern province of Jujuy are heading to the country's capital, Buenos Aires, to demand the repeal of the reform to the provincial constitution that endorses the looting of their ancestral territories and criminalizes protest. More details with Telesur.
9: Community members from Quebrada and Puna gathered on Tuesday in Puma, Marca, to demand that the Supreme Court of Justice pronounce on the reform of the Magna Carta and the sanction of the law on community property. Members of the community traveled on Tuesday to concentrate on the blockade that has been maintained for more than 40 days at the access to Purma Marca. By means of closing act, they began the third Malón de la Paz, which will end next August 1st in front of the National Congress in Buenos Aires.
8: The National Security Advisors of BRICS countries have gathered in Johannesburg for the second day now, preparing for the bloc's highly anticipated main summit in less than a month. RT correspondent Karabo latla
9: reports. We need ambience changing global geopolitical realities, a period where internationalism is increasingly coming under threat, when more countries are succumbing to the temptation to adopt inward-looking positions, and the expense of the global common good. This meeting is a significant item on the BRICS calendar and once again provide us with an opportunity to substantially advance our common BRICS agenda.
10: That was Minister in the Presidency of South Africa, Minister chaveni outlining a point that this is an opportune time for the BRICS members, but Also for the friends of BRICS, which include countries such as Belarus, Burundi, Cuba, uh, Egypt, as well as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. These are some of the countries that are particularly interested in exploring their membership uh, opportunities within the BRICS club. One of the key pillars with regards to this year's issue has been the exclusion of Russia following the sanctions on that country. Uh, following the Ukraine war last year. The Brics Club has really clobbered around Russia and really presented this as an opportunity to get an alternative view and to really realize a multipolar world. Among the issues that will be discussed again, they will be discussing the issue, or rather teeing it up, because this would be a complicated issue, the issue of emerging with a consensus around a currency for the BRICS nation. Already the group's Nations have been reducing the reliance on the dollar as they trade amongst themselves and opting to use their home currencies to, to have a better exchange with them, but but not only that, to have a weakened America in a sense that America has often used the, the dollar as a carrot if you agree with them and as a stick if you disagree, and that has really left many economies in, uh, in dire straits, and they, uh, the minister here Minister Chaveni was really outlining the fact that more countries now, ever since the pandemic, have been inward looking and not so much outward, and that this has been done at the detriment of the rest of the world in order to save themselves. And that cannot be a vision for a future world, and it cannot be a vision that the BRICS Club
3: subscribes to. BRICS now are talking about creating a single currency that would de-dollarize the entire international transaction. With this initiative that we have among the BRICS, it's going to make easier between countries to be able to trade among each other without using an international currency, a reserve currency called the dollar. International trade have been limited to some degree, under globalization, by the fact that there was a single currency, like all transactions were happening to the tune of 88 percent by the U.S. dollar, and therefore the U.S. government using sanctions as uh, a measure of international relations uh, has become frustration for many countries. They came to African country with something called structural adjustment program. Basically, what the program means is shut down all your factories, shut down all your productive base take dollars and then share within you the elites and leave the poor man to suffer. The financialization of the system succeeded in destroying every part of the productivity that impoverished Africans and denied them opportunity to get jobs to continue to sustain their life and grow. So that is exactly what it is. So in Africa, the enthusiasm is very, very high. We understand that the biggest strangulation against our success is the dollar. So the more we decouple from the dollar, the better for the success of our growth. And I believe all Africans are aware of this and are eager to get um, the new currency so that we can continue to advance our growth and development.
8: Israeli forces have killed more than 200 Palestinians so far in 2023 both in the besieged Gaza Strip and the Occupied West Bank, a new report says. The daily killings of Palestinians take place before the eyes of the international community. Ashraf Shanon reports.
11: The apartheid Israeli regime has killed more than 200 Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and the Occupied West Bank since the beginning of 2023. According to recent figures released by the Palestinian Information Center, the exact death toll is 206. Earlier this month, Israeli forces raided the Jenin refugee camp in the occupied West Bank and killed a dozen Palestinians. Back in May, regime forces unleashed a five day onslaught on the Gaza Strip, killing 37 Palestinians, including innocent women and children. Among the victims was 26 year old Uday Allah. Uday's bereaved family is still in shock after the loss of their
4: son. I miss my son so much and I only want to hug him and keep him in my arms. Israel killed my son Ode, who was the heart and soul of our house, and it breaks my heart not seeing him around. Life will never be the same without my son, and I don't wish this feeling on anyone.
11: Since 2008, Israeli forces waged multiple wars and military aggressions against the Gaza Strip, killing and injuring thousands of people. The victims' families are demanding justice for their loved
4: ones.
11: The Zionist entity killed my son, and its leaders must be brought to justice. I also blame the international community for the death of my son, because they ignore the crimes of the Zionist entity against the Palestinian people. The blood of my son will not go in vain, because he died for the sake of Palestine and Al-Quds. Israel's callous disregard for human life continues to inflict pain and suffering on Palestinians. Rights groups say Tel Aviv has demonstrated zero accountability to the crimes perpetrated by its troops. killing Palestinians in the occupied West Bank or Gaza is a grave violation of international law and requires accountability. Al-Mezan Center for Human Rights reiterates its strongest condemnation of Israel's gross and systematic violations of international law, particularly in cases of killings and attacks against civilians. Such violations amount to war crimes and crimes against humanity.
8: And that's all in today's international highlights from non NATO Media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasiliev.
2: KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Next, whatever happened to the Purple Line Transit neighborhood plan? Dick Plaktkin, writer for the City Watch LA and retired Los Angeles city planner, gives us the answer in his commentary.
6: Sometimes local officials do the right thing, even if for the wrong reason. This is the case of the Purple Line Extension Transit Neighborhood Plan, also called the TNP, which got as far as a 2018 scoping meeting for the project's environmental impact report. In examining the fate of this ordinance, misnamed a plan. I discovered a large mont Buzz story that city planning stopped work on this project in 2019. The Director of Planning then decided that this upzoning ordinance should be considered during the Wilshire Community Plans Update, exactly what neighborhood residents had called for. The Wilshire Community Plans Update was originally scheduled to begin in 2021, but was postponed to 2022. It is now late 2023, and there is no information on this start date. While it could begin when the city council eventually adopts 17 stalled updates for the South San Fernando Valley and West Los Angeles. This is pure conjecture. What we do know, however, is the history of the zoning overlay scheme for the purple line subway extension in 2018 and 2019 when city hall actively pursued this plan, local residents strenuously opposed it for four reasons. First, Upzoning changes such as these should be carefully evaluated during the Wilshire Community Plans update. The City Council should not adopt them out of sequence before the Community Plans update has even begun. Second, the Wilshire Community Plan, including this study area, already has vast amounts of available zoning capacity. Third, upzoning increases property values, promotes flipping, and inflates housing prices. It prices even more people out of housing and therefore increases homelessness. Fourth, when upzoning results in new apartments, they are expensive. Since these tenants and own and drive cars, it also leads to traffic congestion and reduces transit ridership. Upzoning also increases the use of water, electricity and internet capacity. These and related demands on infrastructure and public services must be carefully assessed up front and then regularly monitored, not swept under the carpet. In response to these objections, then-Council Member David Rue submitted a detailed letter to the Director of Planning in April 2019. He eloquently questioned the proposed Purple Line's purposes for the transit neighborhood plan. According to a Larchmont-Buzz report, From February 2022, LA's Department of City Planning stopped work on the TNP in 2019 until it could be folded into the future Wilshire Community Plan update. While the start date and focus of this update is unknown, based on LA's new housing element and the City Council's tentative adoption of the Hollywood and Downtown Community Plans, City Hall will again try to increase the Wilshire corridor's density through upzoning When this happens, local residents will resurrect their previous critique of the transit neighborhood plan. First, the implementation of the subway's first last mile plan remains unfunded. If Metro manages to open this section of the Purple Line subway extension in 2024, only one year behind schedule, there won't be such essential passenger amenities as parking lots, drop-off areas, streetscape, kiosks, bathrooms, and wayfaring signs. Second, the Wilshire plan already has enough unused zoning capacity to accommodate every population growth scenario. In 2020, LA City Planning reported the Wilshire Community Plan's population was 280,000 people. This is 12,000 people fewer then lived in the plan area in 2000 when the Wilshire Community Plan was last updated. Nevertheless, the plan's existing zoning allows for 373,000 people. When accessory dwelling units and potential density bonuses are factored in, the plan area's theoretical population rises to 770,000 people. This is 467,000 people than the Wilshire Plan's population in 2020. Obviously, the Wilshire area does not need any zoning increases. Third, the Wilshire plan already suffers from electricity blackouts, burst water mains, decrepit sidewalks and streets, missing ADA curb cuts and bicycle lanes, mansionization and gentrification, and a shrinking urban forest. All of these deficiencies should be repaired before City Hall shoehorns additional luxury apartments into the Wilshire Corridor's neighborhoods. The Wilshire Transit Neighborhood Plan is now in hibernation. When it wakes up, Wilshire Corridor residents will be ready again to take it on.
2: what it is, KPFK. I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance News Community Calendar. Black and BIPOC high school, middle school students are invited to participate in the Women's Leadership Project Youth Facilitated Our Heart, Our Healing, Our Power Institute at the Stoneview Nature Center in Culver City on August 4th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., focusing on art as a tool for healing and empowerment with art making, poetry, literature, mental health and wellness, resources, filmmaking instruction, dance, yoga, and safe space creation. Breakfast and lunch will be provided at the event. Get more info at womensleadershipla.org. Summertime Music Series is back at the Ball. Get together on Thursdays with friends and family to sing and dance to an eclectic lineup of musicians featuring artists from Jewish, African, and Cuban diasporas. Next concert is August 3rd. Go to Skirball.org for details. Black Women for Wellness events for this week include Sisters in Motion, Self-Love Happy Hour, for a community meetup for those who want to explore their self-love journey. Thursday, July 27th at Post and Beam, 3767 Santa Rosalia Drive in Los Angeles. Also join BWW for the launch of their book club called The Vanguard of Knowledge, a racial justice book club on Monday, July 31st, 6 p.m. at the Los Angeles Central Library. In Meeting Room B, 630 West 5th Street in downtown Los Angeles. For information about Black Women for Wellness and these events, check out bwwla.org. African-American Male Wellness Agency presents Real Men, Real Talk, focusing on black men's mental il- wellness. Thursday, August 3rd, 6 to 8 p.m. at Loyola Marymount University and the St. Rob's Auditorium. This event is free for men only. This is a, a men only event. Find details on Eventbrite and search for the African-American Male Wellness Agency. Through the Glass Productions announces its short film, A Year to Life, at the 27th Annual Los Angeles Shorts International Film Festival, Friday, July 28th, 5.30 p.m. at the Regal Cinemas at L.A. Live 1000 West Olympic Boulevard in downtown Los Angeles. The festival runs now until July 30th and claims to be the longest running short film festival in Los Angeles. Go to to AYearToLife.com for more details. NAMI Urban Los Angeles is celebrating 20 years. Join them to honor the legacy of their co-founder, Bibi Moore Campbell, during National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, Saturday, July 29th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Lamert Park. This free community event is designed to highlight the work of NULA's founders and to uplift the voices of advocates, peers, and organizations that are allies for ending mental health stigmas in BIPOC communities, featuring panel discussions, giveaways, resources, performances, food, and more. Find more details at namiurbanla.org. Check out Soul Sets at the Park, summer concerts for lovers of R&B and soul with live performances at the Hollywood Park Casino on Thursday, July 27th and August 10th from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. For more info, visit soul-sets.com. Meet Impu Kamut for weekly Casa Taishi, Taishi Shawan sessions on Zoom, Tuesdays and Fridays at 8.30 a.m. Saturdays, live in Lemert Park, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. For more information, call 213-447-7700. Join the Inglewood Pickleball Foundation at Darby Park on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Call 310-654-7344 for details. Senator Stephen Bradford, 35th District, is hosting a back-to-school backpack giveaway and resource fair Saturday, August 5th, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Cal State Dominguez Hills in the North Lawn area, 1000 East Victoria Street in Carson. Call Jasmine Guerrero at 310-412-6120 for more information. SURF's 12th Annual drive through back Back-to-School Giveaway is Saturday, August 19th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the City of Torrance Civic Center, 3330 Civic Center Drive in Torrance. Go to surf.org. That's S-I-E-R-F dot org. The Let's Be Whole program is giving away free bags of organic produce every week on Wednesdays, 12.30 p.m. at La at Leimert Park Plaza, 4395 South Lamert Park Boulevard in Africa Town. Check out letsbewhole.com for details. For no-cost produce distributions taking place at clinics in Los Angeles, visit dhs.lacounty.gov. To find food pantries near you in the USA, go to foodfinder.us. To locate a Los Angeles Tenants Union meeting in your area online or over the phone, visit latenantsunion.org. For mental health resources, crisis support, helplines, and warm lines, go to namiurbanla.org under Resources. I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions. You've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thank you for keeping KPFK a strong and independent source of music, arts, news, and information. Thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy, and all Rebel Alliance News contributors. We hope you will join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great evening, Los Angeles. Coming up next is Feminist Magazine.
1: KPFK is holding an election to seat listener members like yourself on the local station board. In an effort to make this election financially and environmentally sustainable, we will use primarily electronic ballots. If you are eligible to vote in this election and we do not have your email on file or your email has bounced, you may receive a text message or phone call from election staff with instructions on how to provide us your current email address. E-ballots will hit your inbox on August 15th and you will have until September 30th to cast your vote. Visit elections.pacifica.org for more information or leave a voicemail on 213-635-9363. It's 90.7 FM KPFK in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM North San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest, and online at kpfk.org.
2: This is Nick, host of Bike Talk Online at KPFK since 2008. I used to have a car, but you don't need a car to get around in L.A., and we talk about that every episode.
6: Just do it!